Greetings, everyone. Nice to see you here tonight. Look at your favorite neighbor and smile real big and tell them I'm so glad I got to see you tonight. <laughs> Some of you just found out where you rank in the list of favorite neighbors. It's great to see you here tonight. Thank you for being here with us. We're honored that you would join us here on campus for Midweek Bible Study. And those of you that are joining us via Facebook Live and live stream, welcome to you as well. I want to give you a few announcements this evening. First of all, we want to remind you that uh, this coming Sunday, 5th of February, Brother Steve Cannon, our General Director of Children's Ministries, will be speaking in our 11 a.m. service. Looking forward to that. And also, on February 5th at 6 in the evening, Pastor would like to meet with all of you that have agreed to lead a connect group uh, this session. And so you'll meet in the A Center at 6 o'clock with Pastor. The following Sunday, February 12th, will be Child Dedication Sunday. And if you have a child that you would like to have dedicated, hopefully you know already and have gotten that information in. But if not, please contact the church office Sunday, February 26th, from 2 to 5, Ladies Tea, held at the Cottage Tea Room. And there has been a category set up on Easy Pay. For those of you that haven't uh, already taken care of that, the cost is $25, and that is for all of our ladies age 12 and up. And then finally, March 9th through 11th, will be Ladies Conference in Tioga. So please keep all of those announcements in mind. Before uh, Pastor comes with our Bible study this evening, I am going to be uh, a little transparent with you. Um, I was listening to a podcast uh, just this past week, and it brought it all home to me again. It was a psychology podcast, and um, the, uh, the man said that uh, where you dwell is where you go. He's talking about your thought life. And that wasn't new to me, but for some reason, the context in which it was said made me sad because I realized where I had been dwelling uh, is not going to send me to where I really want to go and not going to make me who I want to be. Around about the beginning of this year, I realized uh, that something was missing in my life and I want it back. And what is missing is joy. These past few years have just been a grind. I don't know if that's been your experience, but for me, these past couple of years have just really been a grind. Showing up, doing the things I need to do at work, with the family and at church, but just grinding it out. And somewhere in the middle of all that, y'all, my joy has gone missing. So I started praying the same thing that David prayed in Psalm 51 and 12, where he said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. And I felt led to just begin to study that scripture. And as I began to unpack the different words and phrases in that scripture, uh, it really started to come back to me, or not come back to me, it really started to impress me really what David was asking God to do for him. Because whenever he said restore, he meant, Lord, I want you to bring back, return, give back, refresh and repair unto me the gladness and the exultation and the rejoicing of your deliverance, your rescue, your safety, your, your welfare, and your victory. And Lord, I want you to uphold or to prop up, to bear up. Let me lean against, rest and support myself, sustain me. And let me brace myself, refresh and revive me with your free spirit, your generous spirit, your liberal spirit, your inclined spirit, your spirit. That's, that's that breath, that wind. But then I found that the words with thy in that second phrase did not appear in the original language. So that would mean that David is then asking God to uphold or sustain or revive or refresh in me a free spirit, a willing-hearted and inclined spirit, a willing-hearted and inclined mind or disposition or desire. So in other words, David was saying, Lord, refresh and revive in me a mind and a disposition that is willing-hearted 
and inclined toward you. So David is asking God not only to restore the joy of his presence and the joy of his rescue in his life, but also to restore in him an overall disposition or a heart or a mind or a spirit that is inclined toward God, that wants to obey, that wants to be right, and wants to be in his presence. And that type of request really makes sense to me. Either one is great. Either option you go with is fine. But that second option makes a lot of sense considering the context of repentance in this chapter. So that text would then read, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. I read in Habakkuk where Habakkuk wrote, Though the fig tree does not blossom and there's no fruit on the vines, though there's no produce of the olive and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And I will exalt in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. And he makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. I want to pray. You can pray with me. Jesus, I believe that you are the source of joy. And I long for you to make my heart fruitful ground so that I can have joy that will nourish my soul as well as bring joy to other people. Make me able to plant a vineyard of joy in my heart and teach me to do my part and to plant the seeds of joy that will bring forth growth as you water them through the Spirit. Lord, I ask you to uproot anything that hinders growth of my harvest of joy. Because joy is your promise to me, and I receive it. So, Lord, teach me how to find fullness of joy in your presence. And, Lord, I'm sorry if I've offered you religion, but have never offered you the steadfast love and devotion that will manifest joy in my life. Lord, I realize all over again that I am in deep need of relationship with you. So, teach me to seek you in a way that is consistent, in a way that is diligent, so that I can reap the harvest of knowing you. Lord, I pray like David, make known to me the paths of life and show me who you are so that I will never depart from you. In Jesus' name. It's my prayer for me. It's my prayer for you. I love you, Grace Church. God bless you this evening. Let's everybody stand. <clears throat> My heart is moved tonight with his honesty and transparency, and uh, I sure hope no one ever points a finger of judgment or criticism or anything like that. If you do, you need to have a fresh experience in the prayer room yourself. But I appreciate and respect that kind of transparency and honesty, and um, I can understand his sentiment past couple of years has been the grind for a lot of people and I've been one of them <clears throat> I feel that God has has restored me to a great extent in so many ways and I'm very thankful for that but I'd like for us to take just a moment tonight and I appreciated brother Jason's prayer I respect it and I love him dearly and I want to see him completely restored to a place in his relationship with God that he's not even experienced at this time. I'd like for us to pray for him and maybe even others here tonight that may feel a similar sentiment to what he's come before you tonight and expressed and said. So if you would, let's pray together. Everybody pray for just a moment towards this end. Jesus, we ask you tonight to be good, to be kind. I pray in the name of Jesus that the Holy Ghost would work. These are promises that you've made, that you would restore us, that you would heal us, that you would make us complete in you. And I honor what Brother Jason has said here tonight. I respect it. I appreciate it. 
And I pray, God, that you administer to him tonight, that the Holy Ghost would be like that well of living water springing up on the inside of him, that you would heal his mind, his spirit. I pray in the name of Jesus that others here tonight that share similar feelings, that you would do the same for them. We cling to the promise of God. It's a byproduct of your spirit is to have the joy of the Holy Ghost, the joy of the Spirit of God. And I pray in Jesus' name that you work along this line. We love you for it. We thank you for it. Let's give the Lord some praise tonight, shall we? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank the Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for your response to that. And uh, I love Grace Church, too. Thank the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. Um, great to see you. Always good to see you on Wednesday night. And... Um, what a wonderful, wonderful, just deep moving of the Spirit of God here this past Sunday. Uh, very light attendance this past Sunday. Um, of course, we're always disappointed when that happens. But the, the Lord did not show up any less. And uh, the Spirit of the Lord was here in a marvelous way, and I'm very thankful, so very thankful for that. Thank the Lord. Uh, I've been asked to announce tonight to uh, ask tonight uh, we need a couple of nursery workers any of you ladies that would be interested in helping us out if you'd see Sister Landry about that uh, that would be deeply deeply appreciated I have a prayer request I want to submit to you tonight but it's one that's very positive and uh, very upbeat <clears throat> this past Monday Brother Dave and I attended section 2 um conference uh, that's our part of the state uh, I think there were 37 ministers pastors there that were eligible to vote etc but brother Darrell Weber of course our district superintendent presented his vision and desire to just really do some wonderful things at the campground and I'm sure most of you've heard that these things were in the works he presented a plan uh, presented a budget and uh, I walked away just overwhelmingly impressed number one with his work and uh, desire to, to do these things but uh, even the budget I, I believe it's very doable and uh, we can get all the churches in Louisiana on board I know that uh, Grace Church is going to participate to the full ex fullest extent that we can to see these things done but I'm going to ask you to be praying about that. Uh, we have our uh, district conference uh, coming up in March. And uh, uh, he's planning to make a presentation there. And then we'll all have an opportunity, all the ministers, pastors will have an opportunity to vote yay or nay on this project. Uh, I believe it's going to pass with flying colors. I think we would be foolish. Uh, not to go along with that. This is strictly my opinion. and um, But he wants to um, budget, I believe it was about $3 million to build a brand, new, a brand new boys dorm that would accommodate up to 300 uh, young men, uh, men, males in that dorm. And um, that's almost as big as our church building. And um, it'll accommodate that many people. Uh, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful idea. But the big announcement is after that is built, they would like to just move very quickly on the construction of a brand new 7,500 seat sanctuary, um, carrying with it about a $9 million budget at today's market. I want to say tonight, with a, a $12 million budget, to do those two things is amazing. And what would happen is they would take the current sanctuary, the current tabernacle at the campground, and convert it to a cafeteria and concession stand and meeting rooms and a dorm for workers, for campground workers. So out of that one building, you're going to get about four or five different functions out of it, and I think that is just brilliant. And uh, so uh, join with us to pray that, God will move on the hearts. And I know Louisiana District, if you can get them behind, unified behind a project like this, um, 
Brother Dave and I agree we'll, we'll leave district conference. They'll do commitments. We'll vote on Thursday of that week in March and then have a commitment service um, Thursday night. And I believe we'll walk away with enough money to build a boys' dorm when we leave there that night. But they're also making another plan to do uh, to present it at camp meeting this year in July and uh, also do a, another uh, commitment fundraising service. Who knows, by the time that's all over with, they'll probably have the whole entire budget raised. I just know Louisiana. I know what Grace Church can do. Uh, we see it for our foreign missionaries that come. Uh, I think we just raised about $10,000 for Brother Anderson. Uh, Sister Murph did remind me that all of those pledges have not come in and just wanted me to remind you to, if you've made a commitment, if you've not made it, to make it as, as soon as you can. We'd like to go ahead and send that money in. But I uh, don't want to spend a long time on this, but I think it's a golden opportunity to really do some magnificent things at the campground. We saw an architect's rendering of what they're planning for the new tabernacle, and I believe it's going to be just absolutely splendid and beautiful. Uh, very modern, very up-to-date, and uh, I think it's going to be a great thing. And uh, So help us pray about that, if you would. I want to jump into our Bible study tonight. Oh, before I do, I'd like to remind you, uh, this coming Sunday we'll be filming for our ad that we're going to be doing of Grace Church. And um, I don't know that there'd be more than maybe one or two people here doing that, but they're going to just try to be a fly on the wall. Just ignore them. Don't be rude to them. But uh, they're here to, to film some of the praise team and uh, some of the congregation, I understand. And uh, so if you would just, just be, just do normal. Don't do anything this way or that way. Just be Grace Church. That's all you need to do. And uh, we'd appreciate it very much. So remember that for Sunday morning. Last Wednesday night, I talked to you about the beauty of holiness uh, and um, told you that we would continue that tonight, and we are. And uh, I'm not going to do any review of last Wednesday night. I want to spend my time talking, presenting the material I have here tonight to talk to you about. Um, <clears throat> and... Um, if you were not here last Wednesday night and would like to watch it, you can certainly go to our website and watch it. So let, let's begin tonight the beauty of holiness, and this would be part two. Lord willing, next Wednesday night we'll do part three and conclude it. I want to begin by asking the question, what is holiness? And I'm sure everybody that has any kind of Bible understanding or knowledge it doesn't matter what religious background you may be from everybody would probably have an answer to that question I would like to give you mine what is holiness God is absolutely pure God is absolutely perfect and God is absolutely holy so against the backdrop of that statement let me ask the question so how can we be holy I would like to point out tonight and have everyone understand, um, I'm very biblical here right now. Uh, I know I've run into a few Pentecostals here and there along the way through the years that um, kind of thinks they've arrived at a position or posture of holiness without God. Um, I want to make a very clear statement here tonight. Anybody and everybody, from angels to saints, have derived their holiness from God. God is the only living being who is holy by nature. No one else is. All holiness, all holiness comes from God. The Bible said our righteousness, no matter how good you are and how perfect you may think you are, our righteousness could be holiness in this case is as filthy rags. So to answer the question, what is holiness? Holiness is conforming. Holiness is conforming to the nature, character, and will of God. As we become Christ-like, we are becoming holy. Now, 
people use the, the, the word Christian has been used and and with such broad strokes that you know, everybody wants to be under the umbrella of a Christian. To be a Christian means that you are Christ-like. And the greatest and more, most powerful attribute of God's nature is the fact that he is perfect and that he is holy. He is pure. So if you're like that, welcome to being a Christian. But if you're not, would you stop saying you are one? I mean, I could stand here tonight and say, well, I'm like so-and-so sitting out here. I'm nothing like them. No matter how hard I try to pretend to be, and the same is true in our relationship with God. So in pursuit of holiness tonight, there are two words that is necessary for a person to know. There's two, two words with, with holiness. It's Number one is separation. Everybody say separation. The second word is dedication. Holiness is separation from things and dedication to something. So holiness is separation from sin, worldliness, carnality. You separate yourself from that and then you dedicate yourself to God. It's kind of like being married. When you get married, you separate yourself from all the other people that you could be dating and going out with and all that. You separate yourself from all that. You better. Right? Can't imagine what it had been like when, of course, I was in such high demand when I was young and, and handsome and all that. And to have just girls by the, in a long line. <laughs> Why are y'all laughing? Y'all didn't know me back then. Be interesting to marry Sister Murph and then tell her that there's still about three other girls that I'd like to continue dating. Is that okay with you? Has anybody here ever tried that? Like on the night you got married, right after the wedding? You tell your brand new spouse of just a few minutes or a couple hours that, you know, there's some more people out there I'd like to just continue to date. Is that okay? What do y'all think about that? Is that weird or just really crazy? Well, man, I ain't getting married if I got to separate myself from all the other people that I could be with. Why do we think it's weird? To love God that way. That we want to separate ourselves from sin and the world and carnality. Why is it weird to people to think that? That's why I tell, I, I tell this, I say it often at our church, especially our young people, that people ask you, why do you live like that? Because I love Jesus. I'm in love with Jesus. That's all you got to say. And Jesus did say, if you love me, keep my commandments. He did say that. So it's separation from, so I separated myself from all those poor, crying, weeping, sobbing, unlucky young women. Just left them in a total, complete state of despair and dedicated myself to Sister Murphy for the rest of my life. Going on 50 years that I have dedicated myself to that one woman. Amen. <clears throat> All these other people I've heard through the years went through counseling. They got married to someone else and was never completely happy. But you know, the interesting thing is separating myself from all of that. Sister Murphy separating herself from all of that and us dedicating ourselves to each other, nobody has ever thought that was weird. I can't stress this point enough that there's people here tonight that have been married for a long time. I don't know how happy you are, but the, but you have dedicated yourself to somebody. And nobody thinks that's weird. But if you want to separate yourself from the world and dedicate yourself to God, people think that's just really strange. 
I can't accentuate that point enough. So a separation from and dedication to. Let me give you a biblical example that you'll understand. You remember when God created the heavens and the earth and on the seventh day he rested and um, later on in the law of Moses, uh, God commanded that you keep the Sabbath day and keep it. What does that mean? When you want to keep the Sabbath day holy, what does that mean? How can one day of the week be more holy than any other day of the week? A day is a day, right? It's a 24-hour period. Here's how. Six days you do your work. You provide for your family. You do your work, all your stuff. But the seventh day is to be different. How? It's to be separated in its use context, meaning, etc. It is to be completely separate from what you do the other six days. You take that one day and you separate it from the other six days and you dedicate it to a different purpose. You separate it from the other six days and you dedicate it to God. When Belshazzar in the book of Daniel use the holy vessels in the temple. You remember that? He threw a big party and the, the hand, a hand, just started writing on the wall. That'll get your attention, won't it? It's, it's his hand comes out. It's just a hand. There's no arm. There's no shoulder, no body attached to it. And it just starts writing a message on the wall. The judgment of God came to him because those vessels they were partying with drinking wine out of it, eating their Babylonian food off of the plates and all of that, just completely disrespecting those vessels that were dedicated to God. The judgment came from God to him because those vessels had been separated from all others and dedicated to God. Listen to pastor tonight. Everybody listen. We may not be perfect but we can be holy as long as we separate ourselves from sin and stay dedicated to God. You can never be really married in the context of marriage until you separate yourself from all these other people and stay dedicated to the one you're married to. Does that make sense? Are you going to have a perfect marriage? No. But you're separated from all these other people and you're dedicated to your spouse. So everyone has the potential to be holy. So let's talk about separation from. Let's talk about it. Giving you Bible here tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Or what concord hath Christ with Belial, or worldliness and sin, etc.? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them the world Sinful people, carnal people, what have you, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And God said, I will receive you, and you will be a, I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So the Bible teaches, Paul is teaching in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, that we are to be separate. There's a principle for separation. There's a principle behind that. The people of God must be different from the people of the world. Y'all ever thought of that? It's interesting to me that, especially, I'm going to say Pentecostal because I know Pentecostal, but we have so many Pentecostals that want to go backwards and be like the world again. And the Bible says don't do that. God wants you to be separate and different from the world. We understand here tonight that most churches doesn't believe this. They believe a change when a person is saved is not required. 
As long as you make a profession of faith, you can still drink and smoke and curse and cheat, etc. But I say, according to the Bible, when God comes into your life, you will make a change for the better. The principle of separation is that there are some places a Christian shouldn't go. There are some things a Christian shouldn't do. There are some things a Christian shouldn't say. There are certain things that Christian people shouldn't wear. There, there are unclean things in the world. And if you want to be close to God, you then will separate yourself from them. Separation from. One of the greatest examples, and I've just illustrated this, but I'll say it again. One of the greatest examples of separation from and dedication to is marriage. You make a vow to your spouse, a promise, that you will separate yourself from and dedicate yourself to only him or her. This is not radical, nor is it legalism. It's being married and in love with somebody. That's what you call that. Does that sound strange here tonight to anybody? It shouldn't. We move away from sin in the former life and closer to God and your new life in Him. So holiness involves separation. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. So how do you do that? Holiness is inside and outside. Yes, it is. When it comes to our physical being, holiness is on the inside and outside. There are sins of the flesh. The Bible teaches that. And there are sins of the spirit. Sins of the flesh is adultery, fornication, drunkenness, murder, all of those things. Sins of the spirit is hate, lust, envy, jealousy, etc. So holiness is on the inside of a person and on the outside of a person. But inward holiness, listen to this, inward holiness is the greatest, is the greater priority. Notice, when you come to church and God cleanses the inside, that after a while, the outside lifestyle and habits will also change. If it doesn't, then the outward lifestyle will eventually corrupt the inside. And we see that happen. We see it happen uh, more often than I care to. So much, most religious groups today don't emphasize outward holiness. Years ago, they did. John Calvin, who was Presbyterian, he forbade all kinds of jewelry in Geneva, Switzerland. This was in the 1800s. All jewelers, this is a historical fact, all jewelers in Geneva went out of business because of the impact of what he said and they started making watches, wristwatches, etc. Geneva, Geneva, Switzerland is now famous for making watches to this day, the Swiss watch. It shows how strict he was when it came to outward holiness, and it showed how incredibly impactful his preaching was to them at that time. So many religious groups doesn't teach outward holiness anymore, and Pentecostals is one of the few that do, but we still teach the cleansing of the flesh and spirit. Notice this illustration tonight. It is the lady who goes to her closet and says, I have nothing to wear. Are there any husbands brave enough to raise your hand and say, I've heard my wife ever say that? Nobody? You poor, I know they said it. You're just terrified. <clears throat> Put your hand down. You just don't want that elbow in the ribs. What she is really saying is, I have nothing to go along with my mood or attitude right now. I need to go buy a new dress because my mood or attitude demands it. It has nothing to do with the need of physical clothing. It's an attitude and it's a mood. Some feeling I'm going to do some marriage counseling here in the very near future is all I'm saying. <clears throat> we'll do our best. But somehow what she is looking for is something that represents what she is feeling on the inside of her. 
So holiness does affect the outside because that's part of us. You know the bride at a wedding in two ways. Number one is she is the most happy and joyful person there. She's getting married. But you can also tell the bride by what she's wearing. Isn't that interesting? She, all the bridesmaids can be dressed beautifully. And their, their dresses can be gorgeous, beautiful. But you can still tell the bride. The bride's mother can come in and she's gone to buy a new dress because her mood and attitude demanded it. So she went and spent thousands of dollars on a new dress herself and went on this massive diet six months prior where she wears a size 28. She wants to squeeze into a size 4. And so here she comes down the aisle. And you can, you can look at all the women in that, in that wedding and how beautiful they are. And their hair's all done up. And everything is beautiful. It doesn't matter what they bought. It doesn't matter how much they spend. You can still tell who the bride is. So what you feel on the inside, what you have on the inside, does affect what you look like on the outside. So neither can we overlook inward holiness. We can't say just because we dress a certain way that we are saved. You can't say just because I don't drink that I'm saved. You can't say just because I don't smoke and curse and dip and chew and spit and all that that I'm okay. Inward holiness is more important than outward holiness. If the inside is right, the inside is right, then the outside will get right. It always happens. But just because the outside might be right doesn't mean the inside is right. And dress alone does not make you a holy person. I grew up in a time, oh my goodness, where so much emphasis was put on how you look, how you look, how you look, how you look, how you look. And I heard women, especially the ladies, that they'd get on the phone and gossip and hypocrite around and all this kind of stuff and men do it men did it back then and all of that and it just never made sense to me that you can go to church and hoot and holler and shout and dance and all that but Monday morning you'll get on the phone and rip somebody up one side and down the other God help us so dress alone doesn't make you a Christian you still have to pray no matter how beautiful you look and how handsome you look and how you conform to some church's standard. It doesn't matter how wonderful all of that is. You still have to pray and fast and study your Bible and witness and so on. If you hate people, I'm sorry, did I just say if you hate people? Are you toting a grudge against somebody? And you can't forgive somebody? It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. That still has to be dealt. That's a heart issue. It's a spirit issue, and it has to be dealt with. If you're full of prejudice towards certain races of people, you have to deal with that. I don't care what you look like on the outside. If we hate people or we're full of prejudice, you are a long ways from the incredible, unspeakable nature of God. read to you last week in Hebrews that we are to pursue holiness. We are perfecting holiness. I made this very clear statement last week that holiness is not a destination. You don't arrive at place XYZ and say, hallelujah, I made it, and now I'm holy, and I'm ready to go to heaven, and that's all I have to do. No more than you reach a some pinnacle in marriage that says, Hey, I've been married for 48 years, and I don't have anything to worry about anymore. I can do whatever I want. I'm, I'm married. Try that and see, no matter how old you are. Ask the man that committed a crime, and he was about 19, 20 years old. And the judge told him he was engaged to be married, and the judge said, okay, if you get married, stay married. I won't put you in jail for 50 years. So at his 50th anniversary, Nobody could find the man. He 
Jeff's best friend, went up to his bedroom and found him on the bed sobbing. He said, man, this is your 50th wedding anniversary. What in the world is wrong with you? He said, just think, today I could have been a free man. <clears throat> so nobody arrives at a place where you don't have to work at it anymore. We're perfecting holiness every day more and more. Listen, when our kids was born, those of you that have kids here tonight, when they were born, they were perfect babies. Mine, probably a little more so. Um, they couldn't walk. They couldn't talk. But they were perfect babies. My babies were perfect, both of them. I don't know about y'all's. Why are y'all looking at me like that? Is it, 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 y'all didn't think your babies were beautiful and perfect like I I'm sorry. I'll move on. But when they were born, they couldn't walk, they couldn't talk, they couldn't feed themselves, but they were perfect babies. But what if you fast forward 40 plus years ahead and they were still that exact same way where they couldn't walk and couldn't talk and couldn't feed themselves? We expect growth and maturity every day, every day, every day. We're all learning something every day. We're all growing in one way or another every day. And the same is true in our relationship with God. You never reach a place where you stop growing. I have heard new converts curse. <laughs> I helped a, 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 a man when, before we went in ministry. Pray through the Holy Ghost one night. And he shouted and danced all around, all pouring sweat. And finally, after 45 minutes plus of this, he finally sat down on the front row and he let out a bad word. He just said, mm, bad word. This feels good. I'm like, oh, God, we got to go through all this again with this man. Pray through again. But he was a baby. He was a baby. He was brand new in Jesus. Did all of that stop eventually? Sure it did. It didn't take long. It stopped eventually. And I could, you know stories like this. But if they're still cursing 10 years after they have converted, then they're not growing and maturing in God. You have to pursue holiness, just like you pursue staying married. We pursue getting married, but can you pursue staying married? And this is very similar to our relationship with God. So, how does God judge? I know I'm not the judge. I don't think anybody here tonight's the judge. So God is the only judge. And if I were God in all due respect, there may have been people I would have zapped a long time ago. If you were in that position of ultimate authority and deity, there's perhaps people you would have zapped long ago. I might have been one of them. I might not even be here tonight. I might be a little crispy critter on the ground somewhere had you been God. I don't always understand how this works. I'm going to be very honest and transparent. I don't always understand how it works. I don't. I don't understand how God judges always. I don't understand how he always judges through the conduit of grace and mercy and long-suffering and kindness. I don't always understand it, but I'm sure glad that is the conduit through which he judges all of us through. Would any of us here tonight be here if we were less than perfect and had God judge us against his own holiness? Sometimes it takes people a lot longer to understand the way and things of God than it does others. And a person's spirituality, a person's spirituality is between them and God. It's between them and the Word of God and it's between them and the pastor. Never a fellow church member. God never put a, play, a person in place to judge someone else in Here's what our attitude should be always. I do what's pleasing to God to the best of my ability 
and I refuse to judge others. So we must consider where people have come from. They may be on a track with their growth and maturity, and we're sitting here with something in our heart that's been there for years. Judging somebody. What's taking them so long to come around? Why are they on the platform? Why are they singing in the praise team? I get tired of hearing that. Why don't you go look in the mirror? And let's talk about your life. Surely there's something there that's a little less than perfect that you could be focusing on rather than focusing on the people up here. I'm sorry, did I, did I say something that was a little too true? <clears throat> I'm not sorry. They may be on track, people may be on track with their growth and maturity. And we're sitting here with something in our heart that's been there for years. In God's sight, the new convert may be more holy than I am because they're still growing and I've quit growing. So don't tell others how to live, but reply, re rely on the power of the word of God and the power of the Holy Ghost and the power of a Christian example. We cannot stop new converts from progressing we cannot stop new converts from progressing. We can't. But we must not allow ourselves to start going backwards either. Will it really matter when we get to heaven to hear God say that we're, we're just a little too saved? Will it matter? Is anybody going to fuss when you're running around on golden streets and all of that in the throne room of God and you've got your own mansion and all of that? that God asked just a little too much of you and you gave up a little bit more than the person down the street from you in heaven. I don't care if I land 25 yards inside the pearly gates because I was just a little too close to God and a little too holy or whatever. I'd rather that happen than the miss going into heaven by an inch. So for those who look for shortcuts in serving God, listen to pastor and I've seen it all of my life. For those who look for shortcuts in your relationship with God and do I have to do this and do I have to do that and all that, the damage may not show up so much in your life, but it will in the life of your kids. And where you may be able to salvage your relationship with God at some later time, the damage done to them is very seldom repaired. I want to play a little video clip, Brother Nathan, if you would. This illustrates my point here quite well last about a, little, about a minute and a half. If my wife says to me, David, can you wash the dishes? I'm tired. And I say, honey, is this a divorce issue? She says, have you lost your mind? What kind of question is that? Of course it's not. I said, if it's not a divorce issue, I don't want to do it. She says, honey, can you do the laundry? I'm really tired. Whew, been a long day. I say, honey, is this a divorce issue? She says, of course not. Well, then I don't want to do it. Every single thing that my wife asks, oh, divorce? No, I don't want to do it. How long is that marriage going to last? We treat God worse than that. Hmm? Lord, is this a salvational issue? Come on now. What's the least I can do? If it's not a salvational issue, I don't want to do it. God has feelings too. How many of you would want to be in a relationship with someone like that? The bare minimum. So we need to ask ourselves, in our marriage, is this a divorce issue if I do it or not? We need to ask God similar questions about our relationship with him. Separation from. There may be things that may not be necessary, but I'm going to do them anyway because I love him. And I wish we could all look at it that way. So in conclusion tonight, Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and 1 talk, to talk about dedication. I'm out of time tonight. But he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the 
mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's not just separation from the world and sin, but it's dedication to God. Dedication means purpose, reason, cause. It's what are you doing? To present your body means to give yourself, to dedicate and consecrate yourself. When Paul said, I beseech you, it's not thou shalt or thou shalt not, but it is I implore you, I urge you, I want you to see it. We need to quit asking God, is this a salvation issue? God, do I really have to do this, go to heaven or not? It should be an overwhelming willingness. He said, I beseech you by the mercies of God. Don't you see what God has already done? How he saved you, he forgave you, he put your life back together again. He delivered you from worldliness and sinful habits. Don't you value and treasure this awesome new life that God has given you? So I cherish, love, and respect what God has done for me. If I do, then I am willing to be anything and everything that he wants me to do. I'm not quite finished, but I'm going to stop right here. I'll do this little part next Wednesday night and then go into next Wednesday night study. But I want everybody here tonight to consider how amazing God is, how wonderful God is. When we pray, the miracles he does for us, the things that he shows us, the things he reveals to us, the understanding that we have. And you're going to, and we want to debate with God. Is this really necessary, God? Even though it's in the Bible, is it really necessary? God, is it a principle in the Bible? Even though it is, God, do I still have to? Do I still have to? What kind of relationship do you expect to have with God when you think that way? It would be very similar to your marriage if you thought that way. It would not be very strong. It would not be very solid. I want to please him in every way that I can. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. It's the beauty of holiness. Let's pursue it. Don't give up on it. Don't turn back. Don't go back. Keep moving forward. Even though people around you may be doing things that they shouldn't do and, and, and oftentimes they know better that doesn't give us a license to follow suit we've got to maintain our relationship with God and stay in love with him no matter what it takes thank the Lord God bless you tonight love you all deeply thank you for being here and uh, Lord willing we'll see you Sunday morning uh, come open hearted open minded let's have great church Sunday morning what do you say thank the Lord God bless you you're dismissed in Jesus name